Hello and welcome to This Is Your Life Path, a podcast where I sit down with tabletop game designers and we have a chat about all of the things that have influenced and inspired them away from the tabletop world. I'm your host Kayla, I'm a game designer myself and I publish as Ratwave Gamehouse. I do games all about connection and alienation. I recently released 30 Foes, or Once Again We Are Defeated, a storytelling slash map making game inspired by Seven Samurai. You tell the tale of a group of cosmic cowboys wielding divine power, trying to defend a village against a 30 strong bandit army. You draw and interpret cards to build individual locations, negotiate with fellow players about how effective your character's preparations and defenses for this place are going to be, and then you flip coins to determine how the attack will go and play out those scenes, where you'll always have the option to let fate go as it fell, or sacrifice your own life to try and give this village more of a fighting chance. The game is available on ratwavegamehouse.itch.io. This episode is the second half of a two-part interview with Tanya Floka, the creator of The Connection Machine, Be Seeing You, and Low Thy Dread Empire. Our episode sort of rang long, so I have split it into two halves. Uh, we jumped just sort of straight into the episode because I didn't know I was going to split it when I was doing the recording. But the first episode, which is already out and you can go back and listen to if you haven't already, I think it's a really great one, uh, focuses on Tanya's life and specific influences from there and more broader questions, while this episode is sort of detailed targeted questions around some of Tanya's games and the influences there. Also, we took a break in the middle of recording and then came back after a couple weeks. You'll see when that happens. With all that said and done, let's jump straight into the episode where we're mid-chat about the connection machine. I had um, some more specific questions about the connection machine, but I did think it might make sense for um, the audience if you would, if you were willing to just to give like uh, the the pitch of what the game's about, because I realise I yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so it's a, a bit of a weird pitch, okay? And, uh, but that's that's why you do these weird indie games that aren't going to be, like, 300-page hardcovers. Um, effectively, the, the, the premise of the, the, the game, the sort of science fiction gloss over it, is that 42 years in the future, uh, uh, a supercomputer has been created called the Connection Machine. The ke- Connection Machine is tasked with creating and maintaining a stable hypercube, a four-dimensional space that humans would be able to uh, enter into and explore and interact with and and then come back out of. So uh, that's the the idea from this comes then that um, when humans actually get into the hypercube, our brains are only wired to to work on a three-dimensional model. Okay, and so already in our own day-to-day lives, without any sci-fi, our brains do a lot of filling in for us. Like there, there's no wavelength for the, the colour magenta. That's a, a creation of our brains to deal with a certain circumstance that it comes across. Or that when we... Um, have after after images in our our, our eyes we see stygian blue which isn't an actual blue but our brain interprets as blue a blue to fill in the the gaps to make it make sense so when humans get into 
this four-dimensional space, there's lots of gaps, and they start filling in the brain. Your brain starts filling it in with what it knows, and it starts bringing out sort of like a lot of the sort of underlying, um, underlying sort of feelings and attachment and past traumas that the people going into that space have brought with them, and it manifests them in front of them. And in its most sort of like violent or confrontational forms, these are these form as as what uh, and this is a, a phrase from a song as PTS demons, who which are there as sort of like these manifestations of past trauma that you as the, the characters explore the hypercube, they come across time and time again, and they come across the memory of the last encounter they had with them. So you'll you'll run across your own characters as NPCs going through the motions of what had happened in the previous scene, but then you're coming into it again and there'll be details changed because it will be surreal and you don't have to keep it exact and things will happen in a sort of dreamy, there's not a, a, a things aren't consistent properly and they're trying to deal with these memories and this repeating cycles of, of, of sort of um, embodied, embodied past and then trying to integrate with them so that they can they can escape the hypercube before it collapses. Yeah, it's a hugely <laughs> interesting concept. It's so you mentioned yeah. the PTS demons there as well, and oh, it's yeah. a game that does engage very heavily with a lot of mental health concepts. You know, attachment styles are a part. Your stats are like emotional intelligence and emotional resilience, mm -hmm. and there are mm -hmm. definitely other things that could be using as examples. And I was wondering about yeah. your experiences with these concepts and I guess how you went about bringing yeah. that to a game in a way that was, and I put this in quotation marks and we can, I guess, break around the, bandy around the term yeah. and figure out what we mean with it, but in a way that was safe. Yeah, yeah, we will come back to safe because I think that's a really good word to pivot on. Um, but um, basically, I, I guess I like, ob like, the the sort of like the if things that had happened in my life previously it's like being a closeted youth um trying to un unpick all that um dealing with like being quite quite firm in my ideas of of gender but that uh, of sexuality but that sort of defense of that muddying my ideas around gender for a long time and then also dealing with uh lo like losing my home at one point to a disaster um and being homeless and uh that's yeah a lot of different things that happened in my life led to uh, i'd had counseling a few times and and i had to have counseling just after my my youngest child was born because we were homeless just before and just after they were born and yeah, yeah, it's a, we're we're more solid now. But that at that point, it was there'd been a big anyway. Yeah, so I went through counselling at that point. Some some uh, and that actually when I, that that round of counselling was coming towards a close, we were talking about where I would go. Like once my youngest was a bit older, I I was like talking about retraining, and and I didn't want to be just doing tech support 
when I go back to work, I didn't want to just be doing call center work or office work or science work. Right? I wanted to do something else. And I sort of bandied about the sort of ideas I was having at the time. And my counselor, one of the few times she ever sort of said something pretty, ha like, have you done this? Is like, have you actually thought of becoming a counselor? And I hadn't. I said, no, it was kind of surprised me. And then, but it clicked right away with me. Um, and so I've, I've been making it like in the midst of a uh, pan global pandemic. Um, well, that's a bit of a redundant term, global pandemic. Anyway, in the midst <laughs> of it all, just get got started trying to, to get qualified. So I've done sort of introductory courses. I'm currently doing an HNC equivalent. I hope to do, I'm hoping to either do a diploma or there's a postgraduate course that I've got my eyes on uh, that that after which I could I could just go into practice as a counsellor. And that's my, my goal. Um, and... So as I was doing that, I was also doing lots of reading around about, about it. I was reading and, and also like watching lots of like counselling podcasts and, and videos and um, reading books and just sort of building up a, my knowledge and sort of also putting into context, doing lots of um, reflective work on my own self, like, like finding, like going into more depth into some of the things that I'd worked with previously. And so these all, the, all these concepts are floating about my head and, and, and the way that my brain sort of works, it's all bubbling away in the background on 20 different channels, like like a cacophony of, of, of background noise. And then eight from that, somewhere comes like a coherent game. And it's just literally digging, digging a, a digging a hole in my garden and <laughs> had to stop to note, take some notes because I was like, this is a game. And yeah. so, yeah, I'd been like looking into trauma-informed counselling. I've been looking into things like um, psychosocial models of counselling and, and also sort of things that, that take into account, um, take into account the fact that some things can't be changed or some things are super structural and we have to, to to work out how to how to survive within them and and I'm, I was but also like you mentioned the PTSD demons that's that's a line from a, a song called uh, from a, a track called Sertraline Gang which is sort of talking about uh, yeah it's talking about like taking antidepressants and being transgender and and dealing with uh, that, that that sort of like that what what that means okay yeah. so <laughs> um it's like yeah uh, and it's also it's also not a, a diner of a song despite it's it's sort of subject matter it's talking about it in the way that people live with things and i, I was like yeah and so I, I just heard that and then as i was designing it's just like that has to be a thing here and this it wasn't even like this has to be a thing what will the thing be it was just like this is what this thing is I knew right away, and um, yeah, that's kind of... the engagement to me. It does also strike me. It doesn't feel like it feels like it takes things. Um, the connection machine, the the I believe I read through the late the latest mm. document available. Mm. It 
takes concept seriously it treats its character seriously yeah. but i don't think it feels yeah. like i don't think the game feels like a downer i don't think it's no, like oh, no. trauma um, this crushing thing that is over it yeah. feels more like it feels to me almost like a an argument for developing an understanding and the power of that. yeah i i think i think what it's it's good at is it, it like on one one on one dimension of its of its sort of creation it's a party of adventurers go into a weird dungeon and try and beat it, right? Or or try and survive it. Like there's there's a little bit of like er, er, that early set that that sort of seventies role play game ethos in there. If you squint at it a little bit, um, and it's it's fictional. It takes some it, like some of it's like a bit quantum leapy. Okay, it isn't all all mass surreal surrealism. You you like your characters have stepped into the quantum leap generator and they want to make the final leap home. Um, but, and at the same time, it's got these bigger concepts, but they're, they're put through a science fiction lens. So it isn't just like, Hey, let's ha sit down with your friends and talk about your life trauma. That, that would be probably more like, there's probably games that could do that. This isn't it. This is more about like, here's some of these concepts and what they could look like in a fictional sense in this sort of like surreal almost like instead of it being an internal embodied like self like work you do with self and with others it's it's actually like let's let's look at that in our sort of like uh like this these the ptsd demon is a thing that's happening in front of you it's a situation and it has a, a core and you're trying to to as you revisit it again and again, you're trying to sort of work, work in different ways of, of sort of like understanding it and integrating it and taking away it's sort of like the embodied trauma response that it has over you. Um, but in a, again, that sounds quite dry because we're getting into the sort of like the underpinnings rather than just playing the game. I think if you're yeah. just playing the game, it's, <laughs> it's like, Hey everyone, go play my game. Um, it's, that, that's it's very not a good it's, I've like, and I, it does make sense that stuff changes at least in how it mm. comes across when you're talking about like the the skeleton as opposed to seeing the person. If I'm using this mm. odd skeleton metaphor mm -hmm. I landed on, yeah, yeah. Um, you yeah. did mention a bit before the sci-fi because I I think this was on mic you were talking about was it the film called Hypercube or Cube 2 or yeah something? yeah yeah Cube 2 Hypercube uh, is like a huge influence because like Cube the first film a little bit ableist let's let's be honest back it's a 90s film like we can't really say they sh they didn't know better they could have but it was a, a far it's a better film than Cube 2 ever was cube 2 was just like it the thing that the worst bit about cube 2 hypercube is that it could have been a great film and they just kept for my someone out there probably loves it and is sitting there yelling at me at the moment uh, <laughs> but i i kind of felt like it was a film that just kept missing it kept being like oh this is going to be really good and then it was like no it's not they've just kind of kind of just skiffed it and that's made it worse it's like like it it was just like not it wasn't a good enough film and it wasn't a bad enough film to just be a really bad film it was 
it was uh, it was two stars rather than rather than none or five. And so that had always annoyed me. And I was all there's always a bit of me like you could remake really this to make be a really amazing film because it's about people that have been trapped in a hypercube and how how they escape can they escape it how can they escape it it's like a bit horror movie-esque but also it also has sort of ideas of sort of like conspiratorial stuff and and um sort of philosophical stuff that could but all of it it kind of just sort of doesn't doesn't gel very well it doesn't doesn't really hit the mark so yeah uh this game this game is what i would have done if i were the writer on that film yeah kind it's of. interesting to because like obviously lots of games people make are like oh this is a love letter this thing whereas this feels more like a yeah. this is a um strongly worded piece of constructed feedback <laughs> well, this, this is this is me if i were remaking it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, this, this film could be redone. It breaks things apart more, in a way that's yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, like, so it's like got that. And like I said, Solaris came into it after I'd uh, like after the draft of the game. You'd seen um, also so lots of quite surreal things. Um, uh, uh, like I'd seen recently, just in the midst of um, just before the Kickstarter launched for. I went to see um, Ennis Main at the the cinema and had to go back like a couple of days later to see it again. It's sort of like a Cornish surrealist folk horror film that was out just recently. Um, it, was, it was spectacular. It's like one of the few films. It's it's just living rent free in my mind. Uh, mm. um, even or the Robin Williams film like What Dreams May Come, which is based on the book of the same name. Um, that that's sort of like traveling through the the realms of the the realms of dream and in after death trying to try and find to deal with the past to deal with the trauma of the past and to 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 reconcile with it uh, and and the sort of uh the short film meshes of the afternoon which i think's like one of the most spectacular pieces of of sort of Film, filmed work ever um, in my mind. Uh, it's just like it's 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 like a, a dream. You're you're watching a dream, um, and it has that same sort of dream log- logic, and it has just such uh, stark images um, and interesting images that, that um, yeah, it will probably sit in my mind until until my mind gives up. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you can do you consider the Connection Machine a horror game, or do you feel it's just very influenced by, or do you just think it's that horror as a genre is often the thing that's engaged in similar material? And yeah, I, well, horror is such a big, wide field by mm. itself. Like, if you took something like, um, like if you took a, a hot, a, like, like in it. Like take Ennis Main, which I just mentioned, it's it's labelled a folk horror, but it's not it's not like jump scary horror horror. It's it's a ve- it's more surrealism, and it's getting bracketed under horror because that's where a lot of surrealist work lives at the moment. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's so. I wouldn't call the Connection Machine a horror game at all, even though it has demons 
and replaying your history and it could it could be seen as horror i guess but i also feel like i i think it's more in this the sort of almost like the the social science fiction camp for yeah. what it's worth or science fiction camp it's definite it's it's like I, like it's even got hard sci-fi in there a lot of the, the sort of ideas that i'm going to throw into the final document with some sort of fleshing out some of the the term the, the sort of background a little bit not too much it's a short zine and it's it'll be about 44 pages um but it's like the, 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 there is a machine called there's a, a a supercomputer called the connection machine already it uses tesseract oh, wow. processes okay um and, and so a tesseract being uh like a four-dimensional shape it's just about mm. the structure the processors and how they they interact with one another and how they're, they're laid in a matrix but that's where the that's the influence for the title of the game it's because it's like the connection machine is this tesseract processor so i was like that was bubbling away in my head because i was like oh tesseract hypercube four-dimensional shapes like supercomputers like what what if this was more science fictiony? What if this is more using the the science fiction to talk about like like all good science fiction talk about talk about like us now, like yeah, like talk yeah. about feelings and yeah mind and yeah and who I we mean, are I've, and where we're yeah. going. It's it's a game with even in the playtest version I saw, obviously knowing it will be much bigger, it's a game that to me just feels like it has an incredible amount of depth. Yeah, well, uh, thank you. That's, that's really lovely to hear. Um, I'm quite flattered, thanks. Um... So, we took a break because I said, oh, I need to go and get dinner. And now I've come back about two weeks later. It was a big meal. <laughs> <laughs> no, we um, it was late at night and then scheduling and stuff. So I'm going to get on to the rest of the questions I didn't li- um, that I missed off at the end of our last session of recording. But because it's been two weeks, has there been anything you've been up to or any developments that <laughs> would affect? Oh them? no, no, no! Yeah, a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't stay still for long. Um, uh, one the the the. the nicest pieces of news i've had was i was um uh, uh given uh the banquo award for the spirit of scottish gaming at the weekend just passed so this is awarded every year uh usually at compulsion scotland's oldest running or longest running um convention at this point but it's sometimes awarded elsewhere depending on who's receiving the award and and how but um the, the idea is it's awarded to uh, somebody who has exemplified um, the, 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 the the virtues that we would like to see within within the, the gaming sphere here in Scotland. That's and, dead um, exciting. Was, it really is, because like, uh, I didn't expect it. I've got quite a lot of projects on the, on the go at the moment that maybe it would have been something further down the line is how I'd think about it, but... Um, the the shady the, the shadowy cabal who who decide these things uh, said that uh, it is now time. So they looked at you uh, and were like, "No, you've arrived now." Yeah, yeah. You're it's just... like everybody who's won it in the past, uh, like going back, 
like everyone that I know on it, there's some folks that I'm not as familiar with, but out of everyone I know on it, they're all like, it's like I'm standing on the shoulders of those giants, you know, mm. it's, it's how I think about it. I look at those the people there and I think back to when, like, the advice that they've been giving me for like 10, 15 years, at least. How long, how long running is the award? Um, I don't know. I'd have to look back. I think it's been running now for maybe about, let's see, if you, if, if the viewers can no, yeah, no, wait one sure. second. It goes back to 2004. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. That's, like, it's, that's yeah. awesome to be like tapped in and accepted into like a, 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 a tapestry <laughs> almost of, of history of like gaming in Scotland. Yeah, 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 definitely. It's got like like so many people that I have so much uh, respect and and like true love for in that sort of like I love everything they do. I think they're good people. Uh, I'm just like I'm in really good company. Like uh, like and it's people that I've I've like like I say that have helped me along the way or I've been in the sphere of like I've I've been like one of the first people I came into contact with. When I was doing LARP stuff with Sean Maguire from Ski and More. He's one of the first people in the whole of the UK to try and make LARP kit in a commercial sense. Oh, wow. Um, uh, we've got like designers like Morgan Davy and Malcolm Craig and uh, like, oh, like Gregor Hutton. Got amazing artists like Dave Alsop or like uh, John Hodgson and uh paul Bourne, and like and and also like podcast casters like do you know like stuff by bez like bez who does the games design stuff at all like yeah that maybe, sounds maybe not familiar but i'm now i'm struggling to place yeah, yeah. name yeah uh, anyway that's all people who um i'm i i have a lot of a lot of love for and to be to be sort of named alongside them is I'm blushing right now. <laughs> it's yeah, I can see how happy and it sort of clearly touched it. So it's really yeah. awesome awesome uh, news. Kale, I also Kale, I, Yeah, yeah. I heard I also, some news. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I mean I also I guess like this is the day we're recording this. The finalists for the Deanna Jones Emerging Designer Award came out. Um, oh, yeah. And I was one of those finalists, which is also very cool and exciting. That, but, no, that is huge. Uh, yeah, Honestly. it still doesn't... No, it's, it does feel very huge. It almost still doesn't feel real, is why I feel like mm -hmm. I'm uh, talking about this in a way like it's really matter-of-fact. Like, oh, yeah, this happened, I guess. Um, is there, I, don't, I don't think it's entirely sunken in and everything. But no, that is... <laughs> Really cool. You mentioned the Banquo to me um, off air, and it was only when we were speaking on air that I suddenly realised Banquo spirit, spirit of Scottish gaming. That's yeah, why yeah. <laughs> took me the second go around to catch that. It's a good name. Macbeth had the same problem. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, um, where we left off, um, 
at the before the I was gonna say before the break, which um, but before our the little musical interlude I'll use to stitch mm-hmm. things together. You've been talking about one of your your most recently kickstarted game, the Connection Machine. Mm-hmm. I wanted to then ask some questions about an earlier game, or like comparatively earlier game of yours called Be Seeing You. Would you just for the benefit okay, yeah. of the audience? I don't know, do, do I guess like the pitch for, for be seeing you? Just so okay, the questions make sense. The, the quickest pitch is, oh yeah, yeah, the quickest pitch is like the prisoner, the role play game, like the, the 60s TV show. But it's kind of more than that. Um, it, it, it started life that way. And then as I was designing, it became more about um, the, the, the similar themes, but taking a, a different angle on them. So it's within the same it's in conversation with the prisoner so much as is sort of like just a direct clone of it so it's about basically you the group have a collectively controlled character who will only be referred to as the prisoner who has been snatched away from the everyday life and then is transported mysteriously to a a micro state called the village uh where they're under constant surveillance and uh, a lot of pressure to to reveal information about their life before before they were transported there, and that unfolds. It has sort of a, a narrative arc that allows that to unfold in a sort of episodic format at one point before it comes to sort of like a boiling point climax, and then at the end you do a bit of work sh- like post-game sort of sit down and talking about well what did this mean what did that mean how does this feel like it sort of opens up the questions but lets the group it leaves big blanks those creative voids for the 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 group themselves to sort of talk about the questions and come up with their own answers and to to feel it out for themselves so it's is that in the way it feels almost in the way that how a lot of um tv shows that have sort of clear lineage to the to the prisoner i suppose i'm thinking i guess like sort of mystery mm-hmm. box kind of shows where it's like those mm-hmm. answers are left open there in the similar way yeah. of like you don't necessarily get this this clear-cut thing yeah yeah absolutely because like while the prisoner is the main sort of influence there uh, if i was looking at film and tv I, I was also sort of taking on board aspects of um the film stalker or um the tv show uh, the uk version of the the tv show utopia oh yeah i love yeah. i love the uk utopia yeah 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 uh, and and also like even like some ideas from like neon genesis evangelion uh evangelion um is a sort of like some of the sort of end episode the sort of end last episodes and what what was going on there and those sorts of ideas of self and the, the real sort of like core of it that I went to was I wanted to talk about um, I wanted to, questions to be opened up about um, what it means, what individualism means in the face of uh, like the state apparatus, um, like like surveillance states, information society. W- what does what does can one person effectively do anything against that or what does individualism mean within that? Because the prisoner talked about it in this term terms of just like the individual versus the collective. And I, I sort of wanted to reframe that in terms of the the individual, the collective, 
and the sort of the, the existing superstructure that we're within um, yeah. sort of capitalist society today i remember you saying just now you said just now about how like um the game like that's the main influence and it also kind of became um in conversation with it and mm. i was thinking because i wrote um an adventure for orbital blues which was like a very mm. direct pastiche of the film the third man and i was talking mm. about like pastiche with um a friend of mine and i was like oh well, it kind of turns like the act of play into an act of commentary kind of even if you've not even yeah. engaged with the original media um mm -hmm. almost unwittingly because it's like my example was just in this situation like oh so much of the film the third man relies on like these things about the main character the fact that them the main character will not be the same there will be these created player characters who will be very different sort of becomes a commentary on what worked about that and there it's like i was thinking about that when you were talking about how you know the prisoner and other sort of influences you've mentioned, you know, Utopia, I think V for Vendetta may be listed in the book, yeah. like, yeah. politically minded, but the game does feel more like it's, um, its engagement is definitely, like, in conversation or interested in questioning what the sort of, um, like, ideology yeah. of those those things is, uh, rather than just replicating, like, vibes or yeah, something. I I, I, on one hand, I don't, I, I don't want to just replicate what's already came before. Like it's that that thing that, like, um, I, I was reading uh, Vincent Baker talking about how his on his blog how he didn't see Apocalypse World as a a genre emulator. It's it, he's literally creating a piece of work. Uh, him and Meg, to to they they created a piece of work to put that was part of the genre mm. it's a, a new piece of work it's a new perspective and and i, I fully uh, that that that's kind of where i was coming at it from with with be seeing you as well um i've got like an influences list which i, I put i mentioned on the first half i put in all my my work i try and list what, what where i come from with things um it isn't just those film and tv sort of things i, I put like graphic novels, books, short stories, art, music, uh, but also had a big list of the sort of pol the political influences that I, I, I took from it. Um, and so we've got a, a sort of mix of stuff from like, uh, like working class history blogs and um, like the, the current anti-raids network in the UK uh, and things like the, the cam over games over in Germany where they they, you would set up a team and try to destroy as many CCTVs within a set time as you could to score points. Um, and the the No to ID campaign that ran in the UK during the, the early years of the New Labour's administration. Um, and so uh, a whole bunch of other stuff as well. But like I, I try and say, like these are things that have influenced the writing of this and and sort of like give a perspective and a bit of depth if you want if you want to go check it out and i also list a bunch of like other websites and yeah i really and... i really like seeing like big lists of inspirations because it, it it often feels like it offers almost like a glimpse into a thought process but also in a way that is not that i'm not always like not in everything some things are more obvious and other things that makes me think more about the game where i'm like if i'm mm. familiar with something 
I don't know the inclusion of Utopia, for instance, and this made me think yeah. about like, oh yeah, I can start to see pieces there, and I can think about how Utopia and the Prisoner and other things actually all fit into this. Um, are all sort of works in in conversation with yeah. similar things, um, and being able to see like those sort of uh, I don't know threads or stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, also... it's 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 part of what I like about um, mm. this podcast is sort of like you know tugging on those threads mm. essentially. Yeah. Well, so it's, uh, what I like about like for the podcast going back and looking at the the influences page of seeing you, it's interesting to like look at it now, like a bit of time on, and think about how the different influences were in conversation internally with myself or or within the game. Like uh, I don't know if you were. Like after like nine eleven, the the government in the UK issued to every single household uh, a sort of little pamphlet, uh, a sort of little um, like pamphlet called "Preparing for Emergencies." And oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was and, six, so I didn't know this, but yeah, look, what? look up if if you if you go to my game and just download the PDF, there's a link to the the original there. Um, somebody's archived it thankfully and have have a read through it have a read through it look at the graphic design and then look at bc you and you'll (laughs) (laughs) you'll see just straight up like what influenced me there but um like it's yeah it's like thinking about how preparing for emergencies utopia came out after that like like Mm. Uh, and the way that what was going on around it like what they were they were both responses to events going on in the world and people's paranoias and people's uh like uncertainties and worries um and the ways in which like super like superstructural elements like like the state uh were trying to keep everything in check yeah uh, and so it's yeah you, you throw in a little bit of like uh manufacturing consent and uh Stephen luke's power and <laughs> you, you you boil it you boil it up in a pot put it on to simmer add some herbs and spices <laughs> there was like i noticed on my read through and i remember thinking about it uh when we were doing the sort of first half of the episode because we were talking about like the hmm. art being blown up um for the uh, exhibition Mm. I put a real sort of exhibition on that Um, (laughs) but um, with the exception of the sort of little portraits of the narrator I remember thinking that the art does feature lots of people who are looking but are never directly looking at Mm. the viewer like it to me created when you were talking about paranoia there this atmosphere of I'm being watched or I'm being watched around but I'm not being seen (laughs) Yeah, I was wondering, yeah, I guess, yeah, absolutely. Was, was that part of the influence from the uh, Being Safe pamphlet or like the feeling well, that may be created? I think my, my, my general feeling about about the, 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 the sort of prevalence, especially in the UK, but now increasingly so elsewhere, of like, um, like CC, well, going beyond CCTVs, just that, um, that to engage with. with the 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 popular mainstream society is becoming more and more uh required to like engage with applications which are constantly tagging and and checking your 
like where you are and building a profile in the background of a complex profile of who you are and that's that's the the sort of like stuff that came with um like the uh cambridge analytica it was cambridge analytica wasn't it the yeah yeah so the the big story there in, in a lot of ways isn't isn't just like they they have been swaying uh like elections and working to do that because that's that's their 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 whole thing that's what they're selling that it's the fact that you can how do you how do you get away from this they're using every possible technical trick in the book to build a very accurate profile of you and then use that to have predictive uh, knowledge about what you will do under certain circumstances hmm. like in a, and not you just me tanya the one tanya individual although they are kind of aiming as close to that as they can get but also all the people in in your your sort of social category or with similar profile how, how if we can sway a large enough percent of that how will that work and so the fact that these companies can can do that and that that's their entire they're they're very rich and they're they're shaping society as a whole and you being used to to keep a, a sort of a, a sort of like a sense of control like one of the final questions is like what what in the game was control controls constantly being mentioned in the background or talked about but never directly seen and so like these sorts of ideas of uh, like with like thinking about what what we mean by power and what we mean by um influencing people and what we mean by control like uh, I could, I could let you in on the secret of DCing you, the big, the big dark secret at the heart of the game, if you like. Just you, like me, that. nobody else, <laughs> nobody's listening in, are they out there? There's no microphones here. Um, so yeah, the the big secret here. is, yeah, just us two people chatting. Um, uh, the big secret is um, the the game's sort of token mechanics. Uh, I I purposefully broke them they don't really work the game's actually junk in places uh not not in a unplayable this game's awful sort of way just in a it doesn't really is it meant to work this way what's going i'm moving the tokens i'm doing what i've told i've been given instructions about when to move tokens um but the game could have been like it's diceless it's a token token economy it could have just been a guided freeform game because that's that's what keeps the the keeps the game running is the guided freeform bits of it um, but the token and is the, a task you're being directed to complete in yeah spite but, of it but, not contributing to the running of the game kind of yeah it, it, <laughs> it contributes and it makes you a little confused and annoyed maybe or, or unsettled but not in a, a way that would ruin the game just in a a a, a, a good friend of mine i'm going to give a shout out to emma acosta one of the, the best games designers in the world today um she she played it and dropped me a, a message a private message and it's like tanya can i ask you a question about bc me I've, I've just got around to playing it with some friends i was like yeah she's like token mechanism 
it doesn't work, does it? And I was like, no, it doesn't. And she's like, I thought it was on purpose. I was like, yeah, very much so. Just go think about it. <laughs> I have been. I'm like, that's all I wanted. Like, mm. it, it, it helps set up the question on a more, rather than just sort of be like, this is our question, go think about it. It's like, this game makes you feel it out by the way you're playing it. And then then sort of like leaves you to think about what's just happened and i if i've sometimes it'll hit and sometimes it'll miss like any game but i think i've if i've done my job right it should be should be okay yeah but it's a really interesting application of like bringing mood and atmosphere by just like the way i was going to say by the way a mechanic functions but (laughs) what i mean is by the way a mechanic doesn't function (laughs) yeah or by like and it will be different at every table some tables will look at it and then go this isn't working let's change it there's actually a couple of ways you could change it to make it really smooth and that's cool Uh, i don't say not to um it's once a game's out in the wild everyone plays it their own way and maybe that at the end conversation that's something that comes up it's like oh we changed this it's like oh you did so you you collectively worked together in conversation and you managed to change that superstructure interesting (laughs) that's interesting whereas individually you couldn't do it and with what was being imposed upon you it was uncomfortable hmm Mm. (laughs) but again like that isn't a guaranteed outcome of it i'm I'm not wanting it to be just like hey here's a fucking lesson i want it to be like here's a game play a game and then like maybe it makes you feel something yeah (laughs) wow be seeing you as well has a sort of built-in episodic structure and obviously a lot of Mm. it's it's core influence of the prisoner as well as some of the others belong to like tv shows specifically do you think of the game or do you think of people playing the game do you imagine them engaging that like like with the game and play almost as in visualizing a TV show. And I was, yeah. I guess I was thinking, yes, is that, do you feel different to the connection machine? Cause I feel like I, if I'm visualizing yes. narrative structure, I'm imagining closer to a movie, but also maybe more yes. to a dream. Yeah. I, I think the, the narrative structure is, is very much uh, different between the two of them. Um, yeah. The, the, the BC new has a, 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 a very set um, narrative structure based around, like you say, certain, certain, um, certain televisual tropes and certain t- ways of constructing those episodes. And yeah, the, the, the connection machine is a lot more about a feeling, um, the, the, uh, like uh, just getting, getting into the sort of like dreaminess of it all, um, getting into uh, allowing yourself to sort of embrace some of the the sort of weirdness and contradiction and just uh sort of float along with it a little so yeah i i guess if i was comparing it with other media i guess like maybe it is closest to having a dream or uh like cinema can get there surrealist cinema definitely um mm. and I, you can have sort of surreal television that would that can go into that space and and definitely 
other other like traditional art forms so yeah, yeah. i think that's He's i sick. guess also thinking about form and media and the interaction mm. of that thing i guess like the fact mm. that like television in the 60s was like mm-hmm. the the aim usually was like for syndication and the aim was repetition and stuff and that like mimicking mm. that it feels to me like it does it would be harder to capture this feeling of being uh, trapped in an attempt at control in oh. a not necessarily maybe hard is the wrong word but like i i feel this thing about mimicking that episodic structure kind of to me it links to that theme of the fact that mm. like the the character is 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 stuck in a loop which they need to break they need to almost yeah. end the show yeah, well, that's that's kind of where when you think back on the prisoner, it's it's sort of end end point point the fallout at the end. Um, it it went into that that sort of very dreamy, very very sort of almost nightmarish space, and the, the obviously the, the 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 sort of famous climax of that with the masks and and the rocket launch, and then then being back in London. Um, Hmm. But I don't know. Like I think there there is there's great like there's artistic artistic ability anywhere to do that. Like mm. it, you can end up with with telly that is just like it's it's season seventy nine of The Simpsons and Homer Homer's head has become disembodied and is floating about the town, shooting everyone with laser eyes, because they just run out of stuff to do, and like, (laughs) it's like, I I found out the other day, I had no idea that South Park was even still, like, a thing, airing episodes. Was was South Park consistently a thing, or did it break and come back, or has it just been a thing this entire time? I I don't know, but the thing is, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. It's, 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 its relevance to me is it is was it is so long past that I'm yeah. just like okay um doing a Warhammer episode okay I really don't <laughs> care like this is how I found out someone mentioned it I'm like what okay South, are you just like South Park a thing that exists yeah yeah it's like that, that. is do you we're thinking I guess about like um play structure almost for mm. lack of a better phrasing maybe that's a good phrasing i have no idea um do you do you feel like you come to like sort of conscious decisions with that obviously with be seeing you that does yeah you are explicitly invited do you feel that comes like early in the yeah. process yeah is it often like a sort of core part I, of the game how i how i come out designing games um it's probably a bit like I don't know, I don't know. It, it, every designer is different, um, and a lot of people I think, especially because I help um, help host sort of like spaces which help people who are like maybe sitting down to try and design a game for the first time, and they often come out with a I need a I need a core mechanic. I need this. I need the, and that's some people get like inspired by a mechanic and then can can spin out from that. Um, and I think how I come at things from is I usually come at it with some sort of, I, I go back to sort of like the classic, what's this game about type thing. And I have some sort of 
idea bouncing about my head and I, I think we talked about this in the first half with the connection machine where I had like just things bouncing about and all these different ideas and they coalesced into something but then I, I usually sit down and, and sort of go can I just do this as like like a guided freeform game in some way like does this need any more mechanics than maybe some scene framing uh how do I frame scenes and how do I pick when does that when does a pick a choice have to happen that is mechanical rather than just people agreeing it mm. okay when, when when does a game start happening because before there's mechanics like if we're just sitting about having a conversation and nothing else that 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 to me is sort of like the borderline where you're, you're in the fuzzy zone before you hit a role play game mm. um the role play game begins when these mechanics will take it in like weird and, and wonderful new directions for you all. Um, and so maybe I look at stuff like, um, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Jason Morningstar's The Skeletons. Oh and yeah. Yeah, yeah. And just that sort of like, that's a great example of like, when you get to this, you just pick something from a list and then you've got this these framing devices all around it. And that like that's that's the me the mechanism there um but yeah i start from that and then i'm like if it's not satisfying to me that's when i start maybe playing about with tokens i'm like oh can i can we have some sort of bidding mechanic here can we have some sort of what do we want to do what do i want it to feel like and then it's like how does this feel like when i'm playing it or maybe just like play a, a scene out or try a little something or play about with some dice and like dice usually come after I've, I've sort of exhausted no dice. Uh, I usually, or like the reason I put dice into the connection machine um, was because it, it had, for me, it had to represent the, the capricious nature that was outside of the player's hands. Mm. The, the way in which um, like past past memories and the things that you were brought up in and the ways in which you've learned like you've become habituated and embodied the the memories and how you try and forge connection with others how that sort of has this uh, a part of it is is not directly it isn't your conscious self or i don't like conscious self but it isn't it isn't what you want in the moment directly if you you were to be able to sit back and and look at yourself remotely and, and so and having that... those decisions come from like agreement rather than randomness would almost be creating like a disconnect between the players and the characters yeah it would it would it would it would like having having the the dice come into things makes it makes it something like the the classic one is like oh i had a an unfortunate conversation online recently as as you sometimes do online where someone was <laughs> kind of trying to explain at first they were like unless there's dice being rolled or a randomizer then it isn't really a role play game which i was i was very much opposed to and we had yeah. a, a civil conversation but it was kind of i've kind of had this conversation a lot over the years and it's kind of tiring at this point for me i'm, I'm getting too old um <laughs> and but it's sort of that idea of like well no it's they add a different element it's a, a certain when I sit and put dice into my game, I want, I want, I do it because it feels a certain way, and so rather than fulfilling a tick list for something to justify to being be... a role playing game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm uninterested. It's like, like, 
what I don't need. Yeah, so it's it's, and I want and I, I don't pick a dice mechanic because it it does one thing or other. I'm I'm very rarely interested in something where I roll a die and on a, a heads I win on a tails I lose. I roll a die and I turn it into a coin because it's just the same. You just mm. you're just rolling the dice. You add in a stat and a skill, and then I win, huzzah, or I lose, boo, and like that's great. Like some folks like that, and some, uh, um, but for my games, I'm not really into that. I'm I'm more into uh, if there's a, a success and fail. It's it's more about like the different pathways, the different ways in which it will frame the scene, and the different prompts that it gives you. Yeah. Um. And uh, I really love games where it's sort of like you you roll and it, it you get to then uh, it it tells you who chooses whether you succeed or fail. Like if I if I get the die die roll and it's above a certain level, I get to decide. But if I lose it, maybe another player or the the GM or something gets to to decide the narrative outcome. And yeah, things that that play play with with how how you're going to frame scenes and mm. what what. What happens because at the end of the day, a role play game is just a conversation that is occasionally interfered with by the game the game part, and even even like your most like like middle of the road standard like play by the book Dungeons and Dragons game is that you're literally role playing characters. The fight scene breaks out. You play your little skirmish war game. And that mediates what happens after that, that like during that for the narrative, but also coming out from that, what what you then have to narrate and what you have to do and what your choices are, because uh, our our wizard got bashed up pretty bad and is out of spells, and our thief uh, is sort of like doing okay after doing all the backstabs and like. So what are we and the fighter needs to rest up, all that kind of stuff. It's still, it's it's maybe not the sort of game I'm I'm interested in playing these days, but it's it still fits into that 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 loop of conversation about we've engaged with these game mechanics and now we narratively have to do something. Yeah, speaking, it's like talking of narrative and. This like just because you mentioned going to war game and mechanics here, this might be a mm-hmm. good place to shift into mm-hmm. talking about Low Light Red Empire, which is a narrative war game, right? Yeah. Is that co- a correct? Yeah. Do you want to? Yeah. yeah. Tactical tell... role play game, narrative war game, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, Low Light Red Empire was your first connect um, collaboration with Julia, if I'm correct, right? That was yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was our first. Yes. How? What was? What was the over the initial inspiration point for the game? Like, what was? Where did it start? Beginning. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so it really traces back, going back a long, long way to maybe about close to fifteen years ago now um probably just under um or maybe about 10 12 eh, something like that who knows the 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 old story games forums which sort of in the early 2000s um is a, a story games forum which had lots of chat 
design stuff just interesting interesting take about what was then the, the sort of like the indie slash story game boom that was happening um and it had lots of interesting ideas and one of the the threads that came out on there used to just mainly lurk occasionally post was um it was talking about if uh if dnd is the is sort of like uh evolved out of or, or was designed out of um sort of a, a war gaming background both historical war games and um the sort of like the the sort of brownstein and uh like blackmoor type stuff um they, they came that those early role, sort of like role play games from that area uh, of design were sort of like related what would it look like if we took the the current uh what was then the current wave of story game design which had very distinct differences from the trad design sort of ethos and then we backwards engineered or or tried to work out what a war game made using those design principles what would that look like so there was, I think there were maybe two different threads within a, within the same year talking about this. Um, and it just sat there in my brain, like, what would uh, a story game-derived war game look like? And that bubbled away. And over the years, I'd, I'd occasionally go and, and play about with this project. And uh, just, it, it never, it eventually kind of... Uh, sort of clicked into place there was there's a lot of different different things that sort of led it there um uh, and so yeah that was where it started um i guess it's all it, it got a, a a kick up the bum from the the pandemic uh, and it's yeah, just like my my it's a, a little bit of catharsis you know, just looking at the world and looking at what was happening and, and sort of going, like it's, it's like a furious game, is my yes. is my view. And I mean that with, like, mo- the most yeah. praise, to be clear, obviously. Oh, no. Thank- no, no, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Yes. <laughs> it is, it is uh, about the, 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 the whole uh, death cults of capitalism, like having one the world being ground down an endless toil the the end of of living resistance but then them destroying so much that reality itself starts to break down and the undead rise up to tear down capitalism mm. it's it's grim it's just like it's all those ideas of grim dark the the idea of like cranking it up beyond 11 just and and they're being like it being really horrible like the, the the good guys the hope of this is sort of like undead and kind of kind of un like all all that we have to hold dear to now has been sort of taken from our ideals and taken away from what we'd hope so yeah yeah it's engagement it's it's interesting doing sort of a sometimes engagement with like um the sort of formalist element of what would narrow like um a story game sort of derived war game will look like while also mm-hmm. engaging with like what to me feels like a not not that i am super familiar with um grimdark as fedix 
and such mm. but that feels like coming at those from a similar sort of different like oh well, what if the, what if the seed is different um mm. it's at least a perception that can sometimes feel like to me yeah well I've, i definitely like the, the the there's there's definite uh parallels with sort of um the, the sort of grim dark as as games workshop uh as the the sort of progenitor of the term um would present it um they they've sort of in in some ways kind of keep forget forgetting that they're doing a nod and a wink to it and sometimes the sometimes it's that that um thing of like what is it i can't remember who said this it's i think it's stuart lee saying if uh if jim davidson can take a a, a, a a comic who thinks they're being progressive and take that ironic joke and then repeat it and just on face value then then maybe you should get new material and it's um i kind of feel that's games workshop these days it's like oh yeah yeah we, we don't like fascism or any of that and it's like okay but um why do all these space marines look fucking super heroic and and they're always the the, the, the sort of like the they're not good but they're the good guys there right okay mm. Oh, they're they're troubled, or they do something nasty, or there's something that shows they're wrong. But there's still your your main point. Like, you, you still like to put them there as sort of like troubled, worried guys. Oh, I am the Lord of the Ultramarines, and I'm I'm worried about this. It's really, and it's all yeah. My empire is bullshit. I'm still in charge of an empire, ain't I? Oh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off, Games Workshop. Just. Like, just like I want, I, I want to go back to days where they, they they'd show a picture of Space Marine and he's got foam at the mouth and he's got like these bolts in his skull and he's looking, it's just like and he's chopping stuff up and it's horrible. Like those are the days when my mum would like sit, got hold of one of the books and was like sat me down and was like, you know, this is like Nazi imagery and I was like, yeah, mum, they're taking the piss out of it and she looked at it and could see on face value, oh yeah. This this is using it and it's talking about it in a really negative light, and um, and you and, feel like, and, like you might not get, I couldn't <laughs> find it hard to imagine a similar experience with I, I, modern. I think I think while while it it's there, like like there's not the, the the whole there's no good guys in in 40k sort of is is true, it's very true, um, but at the same time they they. Do you like that money that comes from being a little bit uh, ambiguous? So on, mm. on one hand, we'll put out a statement saying, "Oh, fascists have no place in our hobby and what have you," but then, uh, but then here's a a book about this heroic, genetically modified super soldier who's uh, really fucking cool and uh, can kill loads of people. Because that's the thing with fascists; like, they don't really care. If you say that, oh, this guy's the bad guy, what they care about is, is that guy the powerful guy? Yeah, they, it's very easy only... for them to just decide the perspective on good or bad that the person yeah. saying has is, is wrong. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I can watch a, th- a piece of media and go, oh, that guy is a fascist. They're obviously saying he's an arsehole and he's bad. But then that... And then, and then folks, like, get all galaxy brained and, and quizzed out about well why why are fash on these these sort of like 4chan and that why are they why are they all for creaming their pants over this it's obviously saying that they're fucking dickheads and it's like 
I've got very sweary tonight. Tonight's a sweary night. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, viewers. We're letting loose. Um, We're letting loose yeah. in here. Loose, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. After dark. Um, yeah, like why, why, why are the fash and the far right and the alt right and whatever they want to call themselves this week? Okay. Like turf, whatever. Like, why are these people looking at these? powerful characters who are being portrayed negatively and still loving it and you have to understand they don't care about that is and this has real world implications like that's that's a media a media sort of representation but if you remember folks can remember back i, I don't know some folks will and some folks this will be new to Qu uh, question time which in the uk is like a a weekly show where you get on some politicians and some talking heads and maybe a comedian who's able to take the piss out of them and tell us the truth. Uh, uh, maybe a rare poet that knows, that isn't just sort of like talking out their bum. Um, you get you get people who know the, on the show and and they talk about the, the matters of the day. And uh, one, one time, maybe about about 10 years ago now, um, but but under, uh, the, um, they had Nick Griffin, the the leader oh, of yeah. the, the, yeah, of the British National Nationalist Party, BNP, and um, basically a, a fascist political organisation at the time. Um, and they had him on in the BBC's line as well, if we put him on, he'll he'll have a say and he'll get argued down, he'll look like a minority position, and it'll be terrible and like it'll, it'll show everyone it'll show them what for and that's because they're not thinking in the way the fascists are thinking like the fascists are thinking nick griffin got on telly and got to have a say that means it's okay it's now normalized for us to have our views in the public sphere we yeah, can't I... just sit home stewing about the about oh why why all these this and that's moving in around me, all these degenerates and all these horrible... Like, they can't just sit and stew about that at home. They're now allowed to bring that out into the public sphere. And there was all this lauding of, oh, Nick Griffin went on and he looked abysmal and there were loads of zingers against him and the, the person that was on the panel really owned him and this other person owned him and the person in the audience owned him and all that. And it's like, yeah, that's true, but the party membership for the BNP went up 400% overnight. And hate crimes increased, I seem to recall, yes. every time. Yeah, I was just going to go into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so his message, it doesn't matter that it's being like, made fun of there. He's got, he's got what he wanted. He wasn't there for that. And this just keeps repeating. And we see it again. We see it today. It's like, oh, we've got to have a debate on on about trans people oh, fuck off i don't oh. i don't remember having any say on whether i what visibility was going to mean uh mm. if i i didn't i didn't want that i i like i wanted uh, like i know like a more trans liberatory approach i think that the problem with the current uh here, here I go i've got my soapbox problem with framing things as trans rights uh and the the language of trans rights is we're falling into the same trap that previous generations have fallen into. Uh, that basically we're, we're fighting on ground that, that isn't the ground we actually want to win. Because what we're fighting for is 
for the state to be able to say what we are and to legitimize us or to or to delegitimize us and to have that say and that's that's this happened the, the previous wave of this happened with uh like same-sex marriage and so yeah i mean i feel like was... you know mm. under 10 years ago arguments around gist stuff were like it was being pushed you know in like oh yeah it should be easier but also i remember yeah. lots of people i knew being like well, it's not very good that the government has a no. list of trans people. I don't want to no. be on that list. Um, and then it's, oh, because it's been pushed then so far back, I feel like yeah. we've all sort of got stuck into going like, well, oh, okay, yeah, it should be easier to get on the list. Yeah. The government yeah. kept list of trans yeah. people. I guess we all want to be on there. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of it. Like anything that's granted in that sort of sense um, can be withdrawn quite easily at a later date. It, it, right, rights that seem really, really stable 10, 10, 15 years ago look shaky as all heck now. Abortion access, especially here in Scotland, like folks up here like to think we live in some sort of socialist utopia sometimes. It's, it's very much not. Um, and the, the rise of like, like anti-queer across the board rhetoric being you, driven and the anti-abortion lobby are, are driving an anti-trans message because if you can start questioning bodily autonomy for one person you can slowly start to expand that using the same arguments because once people have bought into the the, the sort of the, the the full framework you can push that apart and so yeah they're like all this sort of stuff definitely low thy dread empire is like very much directly a result of all this happening in the world the, the sort of way in which the 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 mechanisms by which the far right have uh have become uh, have brought their politics more into the center from the margins the the ways in which that's been allowed to happen by by capital L liberalism um and and always would be and the, the ways in which the sort of the, the struggles for that have to come from these sorts of more mass and liberatory um, perspectives and that the, the old sort of like hierarchical parties and and that sort of thing they, they always they always do devolve back towards some sort of authoritarianism or some sort of uh, we're back to control that um that isn't isn't what we wanted in the first place yeah so yeah, and so yeah, I, I I poured it all into a sort of a <laughs> a, a very over the top, uh, uh, sort of deconstruction of a war game. Is that deconstruction? Is it just a different way of doing it? I don't know. It, I don't think it feels like something I can. This is I, I sometimes feel in the in this podcast I end up dwelling on metaphors, which I'm like I don't know if these make sense or yeah. useful in any context. Um, I feel like it's a habit I've picked up from therapy. But I was going to yeah. say, like, it feels like an engagement with wargaming, where it's like it's like models you see of, of person where they're just, like, musculature and the bone and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. I don't know if it's deconstruction or reconstruction, but it's like, I can see yeah. the pieces and I can see how the body moves. I, I've, I've slagged off Games Workshop a lot there, but I also 
grew up with them very and is is sort of like and the the sort of ideas and this if you do read into the sort of the like take a bit of time to sort of get to to where the design i think the designers and the the, the writers are coming from with it it's it's really interesting and really fascinating and can be quite subversive in some ways in the I have a and I love I love narrative war games. I, I really love the story potential that they have, and and they live in that sort of liminal space between some sort of com- competitive or, or historical, like set set piece more like chess like war game, and the the sort of like the, the space we inhabit as as role play gamers. Um, I really think that that's it, it has a different different sort of different sort of narrative flow, different structure, different different sort of way of bringing story into things. And yeah. it's just, it's interesting. I recently joined a Discord uh, server that is dedicated to um, making miniature games that are, that are, that don't include violence. Ooh. So non-violent war games, as it were. Um, and it's, it's just fascinating. It's got all sorts on there. This does help maybe go want, just wonder has anyone done anything using like games built around like dolls houses, but also I imagine dolls houses are expensive in the same way other things are. So it, it would feel like a thing you'd only be able to sell to people who already collect and do that, which yeah, I don't know well, anyone who does. But you, you say that, but it's probably ch- cheaper these days in a box of twenty orcs. So games workshop at least i honestly have no idea because um it's it's otherwise that's never a thing i've ever known about but um, uh yeah so you talked there about like lola dead empire and be like the skeleton war against the death cult of capitalism and like both the itch and the kickstarter page link those phrases to like a drill tweet and an academic (laughs) article um and i like that's such a fucking great pitch line like skeleton war against the death cult of capitalism but I was wondering about like the combining of influences that maybe on the surface seem far apart. And I guess I was also in like linking of conversations we've had about influences and spelling out, calling out influences before mm-hmm. about the decision to hyperlink the hyperlink, the pitch line to show, to show the workings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I just like that. It's like, it is because this, this it isn't coming from one thing. It's like, we, we've talked about that with BC me. Like it's, it's about all these things that I've uh, I, that I as writer of this game have, have seen and taken in and have consciously bubbled up and while I've been doing this and then they're obviously in conversation with each other and I, I've created this game um, along with Julia doing the art and we've been in conversation through the process of doing that and Julia's got all of her influences and background and thinking and ideas and and just brilliance and so yeah the the the, the idea of like linking a, a sort of more academic text with a, a, a surrealist twitter <laughs> post um doesn't doesn't it doesn't strike a discord with me it just it it just tells me like this is this is both like when you when you read that that sort of idea of like it's a game about it's obviously an anti-capitalist game. It, like it's got it's got those themes. So is it does that mean it's serious? Well, maybe. And, and but it's it's like 
the skeleton war against death cults and it's it's like linking to a tweet that says if you don't put r.i.p on your grave you, you'll get drafted into the skeleton war like <laughs> is it absurd and over the top kind of surreal yeah it's, I, it's yeah. all of these things <laughs> and that feels I guess that relates to another question because um, we talked a bit about like Grimdark in terms of talking about Games Workshop, but I was wondering about <laughs> your personal interpretation of that term, and it does feel like that linking of surrealism um, and you know um, socialist thought feels like that's built into what I at least see from reading through Low Light Dread Empire as your version of Grimdark. Do you yeah. what what do you feel as that's true or do you feel like there are other things that also define like your grim dark as it were oh uh, i i guess there's a, a the whole um the 28 movement in in war games at the moment which has been going on for a good few years now which is a, a sort of like a push towards uh away from commercial factors and towards your own sense of um a personal style, a sort of dark personal style, but one that is that is it's really about customization and about a collaboration. And this Twenty Eight magazine has been sort of like come to the forefront of that. And they they've had a very strong like they they've been very vocal in their sort of like uh, anti patriarchal like pro, like pro feminist and uh, anti fascist sort of politic that they they hold a strong line on and they've riled up a bunch of bunch of chuds who basically are like they they held like a they they hold con competitions within the wargaming space for like doing where you can submit art or miniatures or short stories or what have you and they've had they had a few of them and they've done a make a female space marine and in the law like there are none and all this and you could it basically was like it was bait. It was pure bait to get to sh every bad, bad actor came out of the woodwork when they did that, you know, and it just, it just laid it all in the, like, let's take the masks off. Let's see what's underneath. Okay. Good guy. Good guy. Good guy. Wank. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, they they they've been really influential, and also the other people working in that field, like um, uh, Nick Evans, who does Mammoth Miniatures, his his stuff with uh, he does like these packs of like uh, Planet Twenty Eight is one his main science fiction game, Brutal Quest for his fantasy one, and he does all these little packs of like these these games you could just play in a pub table, pretty much like these super giant mini games, which are like like uh like you basically have a little ziploc bag and it's got a few tiny wee dice in it a wee rule pamphlet and then like uh some either you cut out cut out standees like little little pre-made like tanks or people or what have you and you can play a wee war game and that's sort of like diy it's cheap entry and you you put in a lot more of your own creative creative self and yeah. I think that that lends itself towards a, a far more grim and dark game, but also one that's that's sort of like I guess it has more integrity on a sort of like 
on a personal level, like the people creating these things are, are able to be in conversation and it allows for like this kind of gaming experiences I remember when I was younger and we had like Games Workshop had the, the Realms of Chaos, these two big hit hardback tomes. And they had this narrative campaign where you'd play Chaos Warbands and it was weird and a bit a bit sort of baroque and and you had lots of weird stuff going on and it was just really creative and engaging in a way that I, I don't get as much these days from, from the mainstream offerings, but I do get from, from other folks and I, I find that I, I'm I I I'm really, really lucky. And I think anyone else can be this lucky as well, because we've locally got the Edinburgh Indie Gamers. And that is a games club that meets once a month in person now, with the sole sort of like remit of just playing nothing but small press or indie developed games. And that that's because the, it, it, the, big, the clubs where sort of more mainstream games are played, it's sometimes hard to get people together to play those games. And so having a dedicated space for that's just been amazing. And um, yeah, it's, it's really, really lovely to see. Uh, like, and the popularity just has built over the years because um, uh, it's something that I like, that my sort of relationship to the club is that way back at, uh, in the sort of mid 2000s, were we talking 2010 or something? It's not that way back, but it's a while back. Um, 2011, something like that. Um, uh, I'd started a club in Glasgow because I was fed up of trying to pull people from like five different clubs across the city just to play one <laughs> game of fiasco, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, like, I'll go to this club and see who wants to play, and there's like one person. I'll go to this one, there's two, and then, yeah. And so I basically just picked a day, took a big pile of my, my small press and indie stuff and popped it down on the... Uh, at the table in a pub where I said I'd be, and then we started playing games. And so that was how Glasgow Indie Gamers was born. And so that's how anyone else can do it. And if you, you want more than that, um, feel free to feel free to um, to get in touch with me. But um, yeah, that, that spawned the London Indie Games meet. Some people down there oh, seen it I've happen. Been to that. I didn't realize oh. that was that. Uh, so, so what happened see. is that some so the people who founded it messaged me and said, oh, is it okay if we copy this? And how did you do it? And I told them what I just said there. I said, I just booked a space, told everyone I was going to be there and done it. Um, and I didn't even book a room. I just had a table in a pub that I knew was kind of quiet on that night. Mm. And uh, they done that. And it's been on the go. And like I hear, like I, I was watching like a con uh panel online a year or so ago where there's like a Hong Kong games meet that spawned from the London indie games meet and Edinburgh indie gamers spawned from people locally copying what was like getting fed up with the local club and going and having their own games meet and seeing what London was doing and you know like it's just like it's so beautiful to watch that sort of domino effect out into yeah. the world and hear folks coming back it's like oh yeah like this this, this idea you just have to sort of do it and and stuff will happen and yeah some 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 things some things take root and some things don't but yeah if, if folks are Different listening it's always like, worth a punt yeah yeah exactly and if, if folks are listening and you're if you've got enough if there are gamers around about you and you've got a local game shop or like local clubs or anything 
even just like fly put, putting up a, a flyer in your local library and, and saying come try some games like get get a space and and just do it just take down a bunch of books and then the one that people pick up and read and they're the flicking through and looking at the art and like just go oh we'll play that now and do a one shot because we just do one shots once a month and it's people at the start of the night people pitch games they want to run um once all the pitches are done everyone moves towards the the person that's facilitating that the, the game that they like the sound of yeah and and then if there's something that's got too many people or something that's got not enough we work it out and then seven o'clock sit down play a game done i always felt as a stand-up comedian and i feel mm. as a game designer now and less so but in a similar element with wrestling when i did that like i always felt i was better at like creating whatever the art was whether that was comedy wrestling or game design mm. now if i was consciously engaging a lot so it's like i feel like a better game designer when i'm playing more games because i yeah. i don't know i just feel sort of tuned in in that way and i always felt like i had more ideas of doing like comedy or ideas of things i want to talk about when i paid a lot of attention to comedy yeah 100 um, percent. yeah and Janet oh, obviously totally. is it's hard in some cases but i think that does show like the the value both to a design perspective but also you know just like i you know the other value is human connection and things but... yeah <laughs> Real, I think, real, yeah, real adventures, the friends you made along the way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we'll probably wrap up soon. What I was yeah. going to ask is, you know, what are you? Is there anything exciting you're working on at the moment that you mm-hmm. want to want to talk about? Uh, want to mention? And then, actually, before, as you know, mm-hmm. ask that, and then I will also check in with where people can find you online but yeah, oh, what yeah. Is, is there anything you want to yeah so i guess there's a few things like low thide red empire should be released by june that's, that's so that's huge that's close that's close that's close uh hopefully out to backers in june and then july august i'll start flogging it you know and i've got some ideas for supplemental material or maybe even the, the preliminary chats have been had about making a miniature range to go with it. Ooh, that's cool. But but don't hold your breath on that because uh, it, it needs money for outlay and that kind of thing. And um, I'm an indie games designer, not... <laughs> yes, I can see how that is also the kind of thing which goes on different yeah, time yeah. frames to, to other stuff. Yeah. yeah, I don't have any money. I'm skint. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, in fact... I'm not even skin. I'm just in swimming in debt. Um, send me money, oh, everybody. Yeah, feel that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cost of living crisis. Tory, the Tories really love Thatcher, don't they? They love Thatcher so, but so do, but much. So do, but so do the Labour Party. So do yeah. the SNP. So... <laughs> I really wish this country had anyone in influence who didn't just <laughs> fucking love Thatcher's dead corpse. Yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. We'll, we we just have to be be the change we want to see, etc. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, so Low Light Red Empire, uh, it's coming out. It's it's actually going really well. So for all the pessimism there, I'm really liking it. Um, Connection Machine is uh, don't tell the backers too uh, uh, directly. I, um, I'll tell them myself. But um, there's going to be it's well ahead of schedule. 
Ooh. Uh, testing on it's going well. The layout's about 50% done now. There's only two pieces of art needing to be finished for the art side of it to be done. It's it's like I'll I'll send you over a wee draft copy. You'll you'll like the look of it. Um, That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah yeah. So that might that it's scheduled to be released in January, but nice. I think I'm. If I'm lucky, I might actually have it out in time for Tabletop Scotland in August. That is um, super exciting. So obviously, like those are two of the games we've been talking about mm-hmm. in depth on this podcast. So if you've liked the sound of them, you, the listener, should be on the lookout come June, yeah. January or maybe sooner. Yeah, I'll give you details on that in a second. So Tabletop Scotland I mentioned. Yeah. I'm heading I'm heading up uh, uh, what is going to be called the Indie Connection, which is going to be a big mega booth uh, with about, let me think, it's going to have 6, 12, 18, about 20 foot of frontage. Um, and I'm pulling together indie designers from all over Scotland, primarily. Um, but also I want to give space to folks from marginalised backgrounds and underrepresented backgrounds. And uh also also folk, especially folks who just wouldn't have the money to table at an event like tabletop mm. scotland because even a, a small table in a small pitch will cost you a hundred quid okay and I, I i i've been the designer that's just looked at that and went i can't afford that what the f-? like like some cons are like smaller cons and you you, you pop in at like 10 20 quid zine fairs are kind of similar but then the the idea that like 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 UKGE and all that so and, and tabletop Scotland are meant to be bigger for as industry events mm. rather than hobby events and so they have that that cost of entry so I want to have this big stall where basically all the we- weirdos get together and we put out <laughs> our wares and um yeah it's gonna be great so the, the idea is folks will be sending me stuff but also the other designers will be there for the weekend we'll be flogging all our wares and then after the fact I've, I've stumped up the cash in advance using said debt that i was just talking about <laughs> and um yeah you only live once yeah um, i get it i get it yeah i've only got kids to feed um so you do that um yeah then basically once people have sold stuff um, if they are selling stuff, if people are putting out free stuff, they just put it out for free. We'll look at what people are taking. Like everyone gets to keep their profit. Like I don't touch any of it. No one else touches any of it. You set your price. You get your money. You keep it. But I'll also say this is the the cost of uh, I've got a cost of the stall, a cost of an advert, and there's going to be some miscellaneous stuff. You know, like printing costs or whatever. There's going to be something that kind of thing come up. Mm. Cost. And so what I'm going to, to say is like, okay, what what does everyone think is fair for each of you to chip in for that towards that cost based on what you've taken out of it? And I'm not, and it's just, it, I'm not going to ask for more than the amount that that cost. And I'll be chipping in. So I'm not getting a free ride on it. If I've sold stuff, I'll chip in. But we'll do that collectively. Yeah, it's that's not how the wrestling that. shows I used to be part of ran in a similar yeah. way. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, so like, going to do that as a sort of like an, another extension of this sort of like uh, collective way of working, uh, cooperative way of working, but also like bringing out sort of like marginalised and 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 
marginalised voices and people who just don't have access at all because of financial reasons. Yeah. And also, like, giving a boost to local designers that, like, folks outside of their games club might not have heard of and they're making spectacular games. Yeah, um, really cool. When is Tabletop Scotland? I realise I don't know. August the 20th, let me see, it's April, May, June, July, August. August the 25th to 27th. It's in Perth, Scotland, at the Jewers, I think, uh, and, and Wibbly Wee Centre. So, yeah. Uh, so I've got that coming up. I'm also design. Uh, I've finished designing, and I'm going to be uh, putting together uh, a folk, the, we talked about folk horror game Winter's Respite so yeah. I'm going to be putting that together in a card game format well, it's a, a story game but it's going to be as a deck of cards um, in the future so that's the next game after I've got Connection Machine sort of pretty much down, down and dusted I'll, I'll be trying to get funding for um, I might do some fanzines in between just as a palette cleanser because it's a nice thing to do. Um, yeah. And then I've also, I'm also going to be applying for uh, Creative Scotland funding uh, for myself and a poet and a historian and Julia as an artist to work together and do a six month research for a project to, for something that I will turn into a role play game, but will also be an, an, an art exhibit with art, music, um, uh, poetry, uh, and fiction all sort of tied together. And that game's called Time of Tribes. Oh. And, yeah, yeah. And that's where you can find me online, everybody. Yes. <laughs> so, um, what websites are you on? Because I think I it's... messaged you originally through Tumblr. To... Yeah, yeah. Tumblr, on Tumblr, Tumblr's the, the, because I had my Tumblr before my design alias, uh, uh, I have a different different uh, username there. Uh, I'm not going to change it because I love it. It's Anna Cutie. Um, <laughs> just I'm never giving that one up uh, until I until I feel I'm no longer cute and I'm as cute as a trap. <laughs> I'm, I'm as I'm as I'm cute. I'm as cute as a a, a sort of possum in in a trash can. So let's go. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so uh, there's that, but my main my main gaming my game game sona online is uh, Time of Tribes, all one word. You can find me on Twitter, on Mastodon, on Itch. Go buy my stuff on Itch. Although yes. if you can't buy my stuff on Itch, it's all for free. I've put unlimited community copies of all my games, even the ones that are in development. So you can get a community copy now when it's still cheaper, the price will go up, the full version will come out, and you'll still have it. So we'll do that. Yeah. I don't... But also, yeah. if you can afford, just remember the hey, debt yeah. we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. It'd be Think nice about just... the debt. Contemplate it. Con con if, you're in a yeah, if you're in a decent place in life, and you, uh, you even even just for the... I, you, you hate read my stuff, just throw me some money. <laughs> I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, then Time of Tribes. That's, I'm excited to hear, yeah. hear more about that down the line because that's yeah, really yeah. cool bringing of game design into like physical space and communities. Yeah. Excited yeah. to and... see Lola Dread Emperor and Connection Machine coming out in full <laughs> because the 
the the as mentioned like in development like sort of drafts you can look at, at the moment are both really exciting thoughtful sort of like i'm like av- avant-garde in some way like work um oh. which i think is really exciting and i would encourage viewer the listeners i have no viewers i'd encourage listeners to check out <laughs> Thank you. And and coming from the uh, 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 Diana Jones Emergent Designer nominee, <laughs> but also yeah. just coming from yourself, but also before that happened, just coming from yourself, that's really lovely to hear. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank um, you. Really- Thank you for coming on the podcast. I've had a delight talking over these two sessions free recordings because of our weird connection thing i have not thought of a consistent sign off also i've not yet thought of a joke one for this episode i need to start pre-planning these because at the moment i'm just sort of sliding into them i'm now like sort of frantically looking around my room for anything of inspiration and the only thing i can see is a painting i did that was inspired by seven samurai so my ending my sign off for this episode is that we didn't win. The farmers won. Until next time. <laughs>